0: So today what you're gonna listen to is a live video that I did on YouTube to respond to some uh, members of the WMSCOG who have been leaving some comments on some of our videos and basically making some arguments for Passover uh, being the core or the crux of the gospel. This is a teachings, really a foundational teaching of this group, the World Mission Society Church of God, and it's it's one of the probably one of the primary problematic teachings that they have that that really um, I think ultimately is is a huge distraction and distortion of the gospel. And so uh, yeah, in this live video that you're about to listen to, um, I just I went on and. And as is a really spur of the moment uh, thing, I didn't have a whole lot of, of preparation. I just was getting kind of stirred up by some of the comments. And, and as I was thinking about this and it just felt like something I needed to address and wanted to uh, spend some time talking about, sharing some of my thoughts that I've been um, pondering over as I've um, been seeing these these comments come in and just thinking about this particular issue. So yeah, I hope you you enjoy this live video. As I said, um, it. Uh, It wasn't prepared, as very spur of the moment. And so uh, I'm trying to learn how to um, to do these live videos and and there's a lot of things that go into doing that. And so uh, forgive the scatteredness of of my brain and my thoughts as I um, present some of the the things I do. But I think there's a lot of uh, things that I talked about that I think are important, important questions to ask, especially if you are a member of this group. So with that said, Here is the video and I hope you enjoy listening. So today, basically what I'm, what I want to do is I'm going to, I'm going to respond to maybe a couple comments that we've been getting in videos, but, but primarily I want to um, talk about Passover. And in reply to some some common uh, accusations we get in the comments concerning uh, the doctrine of Passover, why we don't keep it, um, and and also really what I want to do is I want I'm going to look at a, a quote from this book or a couple quotes from um, Ju Chol Kim's book. My sheep listen to my voice quotes that he gives about passover and the importance of it that to me are very concerning um and then i'm seeing i there's there's people showing up in the comments that are kind of making similar statements as what uh what are made in this book that i'm gonna talk about so again bear with me real quick getting this video set up making sure everything's working and then i will i will jump in Also, if you are, if you're a a current member, I'm going to open up here at the beginning and I'll probably continue to, to invite you. You are welcome to join this meeting. If you have any interest in joining me and talking with me live about any of these things, uh, particularly about Passover, then let me know. I'm going to try to be paying attention to the comment section. Let me know and I will... I'll let you in, and and we can uh, maybe have a some sort of a discussion about this. I'll let you share kind of your side of the story. So, okay, so I think I think I got everything set up the way it should be. Again, if if this all messes up, forgive me because this is all new to me. So, so Passover um, first. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you kind of one of the main comments that I'm, I'm talking about from a particular person. And honestly, I don't even know that this, this person who's commenting, I don't know. And I I think as, as from what I've seen him sharing in the comments, I don't think that this individual is a member um, of the WMSCOG at this point, but I I believe, and and he can correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's not a member, but I think he still believes that Aung Song Hong is Christ, and he's obviously believes some strong things similar to the WMSCOG about uh, the Passover. So this this is kind of the main comment that I want to reply to, and I'm not I'm not doing this just to pick on this one individual, um, but I think he's bringing up some points that really represent um, the. Just a a core, what to me is one of the most fundamental uh, problematic doctrines of this group, and that's the Passover. So this is what he says. He says, the Passover that Christ so eagerly wanted to do with his disciples, eat it in remembrance of me, is the crux of the New Testament. Then dying on the cross for our sins. When you read the New Testament, Christ adhered to the weekly feast of the Saturday Sabbath and the seven feasts in three times. I mean, don't you young believers read and study your Bibles? Okay. So this is this was my reply. I'm just going to read this. And some of the things I say in here is what I'm going to talk about today. So I replied to him and I said, uh, I asked the Passover is the crux of the New Testament. Is that why it's barely mentioned by Paul and never mentioned by Peter, James, John, or Jude? It's the crux of the New Testament, yet not once did the apostles in Acts command or instruct the church to keep it. It's the crux of the New Testament, yet not once does an apostle or New Testament author give the church directions or instructions or command to keep it and the proper ways and time to do so. And then I, I said... Sir, if you think the Passover is the crux of the New, New Testament, you, you most definitely need to read through the New Testament again. If it is the crux, then I have to conclude that the apostles and New Testament authors were incredibly deceptive, misleading, and negligent to never focus on this issue with the church. Uh, you know what they did focus on, though? The person and work of Jesus and his death and resurrection and the sufficiency of faith in him that manifests in a changed heart and love for God and neighbor. This is the crux of the New Testament. The Passover feast was a shadow. You are hung up on a shadow while all the while missing the reality that has come. So some of that might seem kind of harsh, and I think, um, in a sense, I, I don't I don't think this is an issue that should be kind of danced around. Um, this is important. And the statements that this guy is making and that the WMSCOG makes about the necessity of the Passover, um, and the importance of it and how they centralize it, I think are very problematic. So, um, hi, Alan Beck, how are you doing? Good to have you here. Um, guys, if you're, if you're watching in the comments, feel free to, uh, ask any questions. hope, you know, hopefully they're in relation to the passover as as that's what we're going to be talking about in this video but i'll try to get to some of your questions here um, in a little bit so if you have questions feel free to post them and uh make sure i think if you put the in your comment if you put at great light studios it'll highlight it will highlight it so it'll be easier for me to see so here's the quote this is from chapter six of my sheep listen to my voice where uh juichol kim says, and I can't bring this up on the screen, but uh, you can look at this in your book if you have it. He says, many people claim to believe in God and live according to the teachings of the Bible, but they do not know the central truth of the Bible, the truth of God that leads them to eternal life and salvation. They turn their faces from the righteous teachings of the Bible and follow falsehood. We, however, not ought to understand the Bible correctly. If not, we will miss the core of the Bible and its true meaning, then we'll not be able to attain salvation. This is coming from, again, chapter six, which is titled the Passover. So when he's referencing the core of the Bible, he's talking about the Passover. So then in uh, what's in my book, it's page 137. He he goes on and he says, um, and God laid the core of all truths in the Passover of the new covenant through which he revealed his will the core of all truths he says is in the passover the passover in the new covenant contains the secret of eternal life truth salvation love heavenly kingdom and a sign by which we can recognize god okay this this is this is the kind of stuff that as somebody who is a you know personally I'm a f- follower of jesus and when I read the scriptures, I see so much centralizing of one thing. I see when when God talks about what, what is what is the core of the Bible, what is the core truth, his focus, God's focus, God's not only God's, but the apostles, their focus, what they preach, is not a feast. What they preach is a person, Jesus. And this, this is something that I think you're going to, you'll find, you need to have your eyes open to. So many cults will, will do this is what they'll do. Not only cults, but just, I think, false doctrines. When, when doctrines become really dangerous and misleading, what usually I think is happening there, what's at the core of those is that they're decentralizing the person of Jesus. They're, they're taking focus off of Jesus and they're putting it onto something else. And they're, they're, they create these doctrines that rather than centralizing and focusing on the person of Jesus, his work on the cross, his death, his resurrection, salvation by faith through him and all that he's accomplished for us. Again, rather than focusing in on him, they focus in on something else. And so so that that statement there where he says, let me find it again. I just lost my place. He says, The Passover of the New Covenant contains the secret of eternal life. Okay, so he's saying the Passover contains the secret. Well, I'm going to go to Colossians here. Um, Colossians 2. 2. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 1. So Paul says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. Actually, hold on. I'm going to go and share this. That'll be easier for you guys to see. Okay, so... Colossians 2.1, for I want you to know how much I am struggling for you, for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me face to face, that they may be encouraged in heart, knit together in love, and filled with all the full riches of complete understanding, so that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." Okay, do you see that? Do you see, do you see the difference there between what's being said? This is a subtle difference, but this difference, I believe, is the difference between a true gospel that is preached by Paul and the apostles and Christ himself and a false gospel that comes, that originates 2,000 years later in South Korea. Okay, look again at, at what Paul says. The mystery, the mystery of God. What is God's mystery? It's, is it, is it Passover? (laughs) Oops, didn't mean to click on that. No, it's not Passover, it's Christ. Christ himself, the person, is the mystery. Okay, you have here Ju Chol Kim in his book saying that the secret of eternal life, the mystery of eternal life, the secret or mystery of truth, salvation, love, the heavenly kingdom, he's telling us that these are contained in the Passover. Well, what does Paul say? Well, Paul says here, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden where? Where are they at? They are in Christ. They're in a person. Okay, so what the WMSCOG is doing, and I think what false teaching does, what cults often do, is that they will elevate a thing over Christ. They, it's not that they will completely take Christ out of the picture, Because I think Satan knows better than that. He knows if you completely remove Christ from the picture, if you say Christ isn't important, Christ isn't necessary, well, anybody who knows anything about the Bible is going to know, well, that's a problem. And so false teaching won't completely eliminate Christ, but what are they going to do? Well, they're going to simply de-elevate him from where he needs to be, from where he truly belongs in our minds, in our hearts, in our understanding of doctrine. They're going to devalue him they're going to not say about him and centralize him the way that Paul and the apostles do, the way that Jesus himself did. And they're going to begin to put things, things like Passover and, and give them more weight, more focus, more importance than Christ himself. Okay, so again, you, you have Jew Cholchim saying the, the mystery, the secrets of eternal life are in Passover. But the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, no, the mystery... All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in a person, not a feast. There is a difference there, and I, I hope you're seeing that. And that that difference, I don't ever see that acknowledged by members. I don't see. I haven't heard of a of an acknowledgement of that problem from from the WMSCOG or a response. Maybe there's responses to that, but that's a that's a problem. I think that that is it gets at. What so many cults do, what so much false doctrine is based on, is is the dethronement of Christ and His centrality. Um, okay, so I have Alan Beck saying, "I think you should stop. <laughs> I think you should stop all this crap." Um, okay, and he says, "I used to watch your videos when I was a member. Honestly speaking, I didn't find it effective to refute the WMSCOG doctrine. Stop wasting time." Uh, You've already made a video on this topic with Tim. That's a good point. Um, Alan, I'm sorry you feel that way. And um, I think, yes, sometimes it's not effective. I totally agree. There's there's definitely certain members, which sounds like you yourself are one of them, that these videos weren't effective. And I'm fine with that. I totally understand that there's, I think, a certain type of person who who needs to be at a certain place. And I talked about this recently with a, a former member uh i think in an interview that will be coming out soon but i think a, a person has to be in a certain place where they're ready to hear some of these things and so i understand that a lot of these videos are going to be um effective for certain people and they're helpful for certain people and alan there's many people who are being helped uh there's many people who are being impacted there's people who are leaving the group because of the videos and so i think there's a there's a side to which Some of these videos aren't helpful to certain people, but they are to others. And so, so Alan, we will continue to do these. I'm sorry, Um, but I'm glad you're here watching. Um, So did the, did the apostles, here's the question that I want to think about and ask, did the apostles preach the complete gospel in the book of Acts? And this is the, this is the question that I began to ask um, the, the fellow, actually, I'm not even sure. I I don't know if it's a guy or a a girl. Actually, I haven't found that out yet. But this person that's talking to me in the comments, um, this is a question that I've asked. This is a question that I've asked many members who, who accuse us of not keeping Passover and then accuse us basically of missing out on the core truth of the gospel. My question is this, okay? Think about this. In Acts, in the book of Acts, you have the apostles immediately after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, um, you have the historical account of what the apostles began to go out and proclaim to both Jews and Gentiles. We get the message of the gospel that they they understood, okay, Jesus has commissioned us. Christ has commissioned us now to go out and spread the gospel, to spread the kingdom. Okay, so in Acts, what you have, you have um, multiple sermons records of sermons of the apostles the the message of salvation that they would give again to both Jew and Gentile my question is did they in those sermons when you when you find the sermons and and actually i have this list pulled up that if you if you want to go to this website you can see it kind of just lays out a list of the sermons when, uh, or, or moments when, when a sermon's given or, or I think like a gospel message is proclaimed in the book of Acts. So my question is, did the, the apostles speak and proclaim the full message of the gospel in the book of Acts? When the apostles preached the gospel, when they proclaimed the message of salvation, did they preach the full message? Did they leave out anything? So the reason I'm asking that is because I would challenge you, go to go to the book of Acts and find one sermon, find one moment when the apostles are proclaiming the gospel, where they're telling people how to be saved, when they're telling people how to get forgiven of sins. Find one place, one sermon where they mention Passover. Um, and I, I'm not telling you to just believe me for my own word. I'm telling you, go to the book of Acts yourself and and, and look it up. Do a word search. Do a word search in the Book of Acts and search Passover and see how many times it shows up. See where it shows up. Okay, what you're going to find is that in no, no, t- at no time in no preaching of the gospel in the Book of Acts do the apostles ever include Passover. Okay, so here I'm going to look at an example from Acts, uh, Acts two, just as an example, and this is. Again, one of many moments where you're seeing the gospel preached. But this is Peter um, on the day of Pentecost. Okay, so he has this whole sermon. And you can go look at look at this for yourself. Just search Acts 2, do a word search, try to find. Here, I'll, I'll do it right here for you, actually. Let's see. In this whole sermon, this is a big sermon of Peter in chapter 2. Okay, I just did a word search for Passover. It's not showing up. Um, so let's go down at the end of the sermon. He says this, he says, therefore let all Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and asked Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What are they asking right here? What's what's their question that they're trying to get from Peter? Well, they're saying, oh my gosh, there's this Jesus, this Christ that we just crucified, we are guilty, we are under God's judgment, we we need salvation, we need forgiveness. So they're asking Peter, what should we do to get that? What do we need to do to be saved, to be right with God? Here's Peter's reply, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so baptism here is included. I'm not gonna get into, I don't believe, if we understand the context of this and and how uh, even this this passage here is worded, I do not believe that this is saying that baptism itself is a necessity for salvation. That's not the point of this video, so I'm not going to get into that. But um, we can look at that later. And I think if you want to study that and find uh, there's there's many good um, scholars and and Christians who have taught about that and explained this verse and why it does not mean that baptism itself is necessary for salvation. Um, in short, I think a, a good place to go would be Romans 4, where you see circumcision, which I think is the old covenant form of baptism today. You see God saying about Abraham that circumcision was not required for Abraham to be justified. So here, what we're talking about is justification. What does it take to be justified? What does it take to be right with God? I want to know as a human being, I think you want to know, every, most people who are thinking about this want to know what? What do I need to do to make sure that my relationship with God is right, that he forgives me, that he accepts me? Justification. Okay, again, in Romans 4, it says that circumcision was something that Abraham did after he was justified. It wasn't something he had to do in order to become justified, but Abraham became justified and then as a sign of that justification that he already had, he was circumcised. In the same way, we don't get baptized in order for God to then say, I justify you, I forgive you, I accept you but rather baptism is a sign of the, the, the acceptance, the forgiveness, the justification that God has already given us. We're justified already. We believe and are saved. And then because of what we already are, who we already are in God's sight, what we already have, we are baptized as a outward sign to show the world and to declare kind of in a public uh, expression that we are justified. But, but this act doesn't make us this, but rather this shows us that we already are this. I hope that makes sense. Again, I, I don't want to get into baptism a whole lot because that would um, distract us from, from the point of Passover here, but I just wanted to mention that. But the, the point of this is, is nowhere in this, and Peter's reply to this question, what should we do? You don't see Passover. He doesn't say, brothers, repent, be baptized, and then make sure because this is the core of the gospel. Make sure you learn how to keep Passover correctly at the correct time and in the correct way, because if you don't, you're not gonna be forgiven. He's answering, Peter is answering the question, what do you have to do to be forgiven for your sins? Nowhere in this does he include Passover. So he says in 39, this promise belongs to you and your children and to all who are far off, to all whom the Lord our God will call to himself. With many other words, he testified and urged them, be saved from this corrupt generation. Those who embraced his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the believers that day. Okay, I think this is significant. And I think this this gets to kind of the core, I think, of what the gospel is. So they were added to the believers. So what puts a person in the category of somebody who is justified, who is has their the forgiveness of their sins and receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, these people ask, what should we do? In other words, what what do we have to do for God to forgive us and to accept us? Peter's answer doesn't, doesn't have anything to do with Passover, but he says, repent, be baptized, and I think you could include believe. You have to be, be in, in the group of those who are believing in the message of God. And what are you gonna get from that? You're going to be forgiven of your sins, and you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 tells us, um, it says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, what's the significance of this? Being sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Acts in this, in this Acts chapter 2, these people, it said, would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They would be sealed. What does it mean to be sealed by the Holy Spirit? Well, a seal, what this is referencing to is in ancient times, when the king wanted to send a letter or something that he wanted people to know that it came from him, it was genuine, it belonged to him, it originated from him. He would put his stamp or a seal on that envelope. He would seal it shut with his own unique stamp that when people saw that, they would say, oh, this is, this unique seal belongs to that king. So I know that this, this letter, this message belongs to that king. The seal was a way of the king saying, I approve of this. This is mine, this comes from me. I approve this message basically. So what does it mean when we get the Holy Spirit? Well, when we get the Holy Spirit, it's God's way of saying, I approve of you. Uh, You are sealed, which which is my way of showing you and the world that you are mine. I accept you. I forgive you and and you're you're forgiven of sins and you are in the family of God. Okay, why am I saying all that? Well, because here, going back to um, Ephesians one, it says, how do we get this seal? How do we get that that approval, that that stamp of approval from God? Well, we, we believe, hold on guys one second. I've got to make sure my audio is still going here. If at any time my audio goes out, let me know because I've had trouble with that recently. Um, Sorry. Anyways, this is, this is part of the messiness of uh, starting to try to do these live streams, but how do we get the Holy Spirit? How do we get that approval? How can I know personally, how can you know personally that you are in the family of God and your sins are forgiven? Well, we need that, the promised Holy Spirit. And when we have the Spirit, that's the sign from God that we are approved by Him. But this says that when they believed, when the when these, these people, the Ephesians who Paul was talking to, what caused them to get this seal from God was, not Passover, it wasn't, it wasn't keeping Sabbath. It wasn't uh, giving their tithes. It wasn't witnessing enough. It was their belief when they believed God responded by saying, I approve of you. And we see that same thing uh, back in Acts where Peter says that it's through repentance. And I think ultimately again, belief, faith, that that Peter was saying you could receive forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So nowhere in there do we see Passover, okay? We have these Jewish unbelievers who are asking directly, what is it that God requires of us? Peter answers by, by saying something, giving them an answer that has nothing to do with Passover. So the question again that I'm coming back to, what what this all started on is, did Peter in that moment give them the full message of the gospel? Did he give them the truth about how to be saved? Or was he lying? I see that there's really, when it comes to the, the perspective I'm giving and the perspective given by the WMSCOG and this person that I'm talking to in the YouTube comments, Really, there's these two, these two ways we have to see it. Either in that moment, Peter did not give the full message of the gospel and he held back the core. He actually held back the core message of the gospel. He didn't give them the most important part of it. Either that's the case or Passover actually isn't the core of the gospel. Okay, you can't have both. If it's true that Passover is the core of the gospel, then in that moment, in that sermon, Peter left out of his preaching the core Message of the gospel, the core foundational requirement of what it takes to be saved, of what it takes to be become a child of God, to be to be included in the family of God. If that is true, if if Passover is the core of the gospel, Peter left that out. I I, I can't believe that. I find that impossible to believe. Especially when you go to um you keep looking at we pull it up again. If you keep looking at all these places in the Book of Acts where the gospel is preached, every time that the, that people ask, "What do we have to do to be saved?" when the when the apostles and uh, the apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers in the New Testament would tell the believers what they should do, what the requirements are, uh, what the core necessary things are to to make sure they're doing and not doing, they never mention Passover. Not once. Not one time. So the reason why this is so important is because people like Ju Chol Kim, the WMSCOG, and again, this person on the YouTube comments and so many others who, who you know, this person really just reflects uh, a broad scope of, of comments that we get that are so similar to this. But this is, I think the things that we're seeing uh, don't go along with what they're saying. It's a bold, statement to say that the passover is the core of the gospel and really it's a matter of spiritual life or death but if what they're saying is true here's my question that i'm asking you particularly members of the wms if it's the core of the gospel why please tell me why do they never why do why don't the apostles ever mention it why doesn't peter ever mention it in his sermons as a requirement why doesn't Paul ever mention it in his sermons? And and okay, you can go to the places where it says it was Paul's custom to go into the the uh, the synagogue on the Sabbath, and you can point to places where it seems like maybe Paul is trying to get back to Jerusalem to keep Passover. I'm not necessarily disagreeing or trying to argue that Paul didn't keep Passover or or observe Sabbath. I think he, you know, there's really good chances that for um, you know after after Jesus uh, came and and you know, redeemed him and, and kind of turned him out of this life of, of being a Pharisee and, and made him a believer, I think there's probably a good chances Paul continued to, as a Jew, observe Sabbath and, and Passover. But my my question is that whether Paul did it as a Jew, my question is, did Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles, did Peter, uh, the apostles who are supposed to give the message of salvation to Jews and Gentiles, to you and me, did they ever say, did they ever teach us that we must keep Passover as a means of salvation? And if you look again through every every example of where the message of the gospel is preached, where the message of salvation is proclaimed, you don't see them mentioning Passover. And that that raises the, the, the legitimate question that I think you guys in the WMSCOG, if you're members, leaders, I'm just, I'm just, I'm curious what your response would be to that. How, how can you defend that, that truth that they never mentioned it? They never brought it up. How can you on the one hand say it's the core of the gospel, but yet you don't see the apostles mentioning it in their gospel preaching? That's a problem. Um, And so I, I have yet to hear a good response to that. Um, I want to look at a couple more verses here. Um, so <clears throat> the other thing is that the, the epistles, uh, this, this is a big deal as well. Um, it's not only that you, you don't see Passover brought up or mentioned in, um, the book of Acts and the sermons, but we have these letters from the apostles. We have le- so many letters from Paul, again, the apostle to the Gentiles, who is giving the church instructions, directions, rebukes, corrections, um, instructing them basically. And t- he's going deep into the doctrine of justification, deep into doctrines of forgiveness of sins, of how to become a child of God, of what makes a believer a child of God. He goes deep into all these things. But again, there's only one, I think as far as I know, there's one moment when Paul mentions um And he does mention Passover. He does mention the feast. And let me me pull that up real quick um, because I know that's something that would be uh, mentioned. So give me one second. So that's 1 Corinthians something here. Sorry, let me find it real quick. It's 1 Corinthians something. 5, 8, I think. Okay, so I'm I'm just going to bring this up because I know this is the one place where Paul does uh, mention Passover specifically. So before I before I look at this, though, um, the point the point here that I, that I'm going into is that not only in Acts and the sermons do you not see Passover mentioned, but in the epistles when Paul's going into core doctrines when he is giving directions and instructions to the church, again you don't see Passover. Not from Paul, uh, except this one this one moment we're going to talk about here in a minute not from Peter, not from James, not from John, not from Jude, not from the author of Hebrews, whom, whom again may or not be Paul, but in all all their communication to the church, all their communication about what the believers should be walking, what they should be doing and instructions, if the Passover is the core of the gospel, then certainly at least one moment an apostle should have addressed that, should have addressed to the church, gave them instructions and directions on how to properly keep the Passover, at what time to keep it, where to keep it. Um, but you don't see that. You, you never you never see any apostle giving any sort of uh, directions or instructions like that. So here, 1 Corinthians 5, 8, Paul says, get rid of the old leaven, that you may be a new unleavened batch <coughs> as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So the one moment where Paul mentions the Passover feast, but I think very good arguments can be made. And I think my my interpretation of this, and, and I'm open to continue to um, to ask questions about this, to learn about this. I think there's, in all this, I'm not trying to, uh, say there's no importance in Passover that it should be just forgotten about or left out, or that you shouldn't keep it. Um, I think there's great benefit from keeping Passover. I think that there it's a it's a can be a powerful reminder of God's salvation, and it can be a powerful act of of worship for God and what He's done for us, what He's given us. My problem is when you take it from. Uh, you take it out of the place that the Bible gives it, which I think again there is this place of importance. But what the WMSCOG does, I believe, is it begins to elevate it to a place of importance that it does not—it's not given by God. It's not given in the Scriptures. And and the worst thing is that they not only elevate it to a greater place of importance than what the Bible gives it, but they put it in the place of importance that Christ alone deserves. And in doing so, Jesus is pushed down. He's minimized. Rather than Jesus being the core, Passover is the core. Rather than a person, the person of, of God in Christ being the central truth, the mystery in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden, which we're told specifically in Colossians, rather than that being what is what is taught, now Passover is being taught as Passover pushes Jesus out of that place and it takes that place. And now we have, in this book, we have jews saying no it's passover passover contains the secret of of forgiveness of sins the secret of salvation okay that's my problem if you feel compelled if you feel convicted that you should or you want to keep passover i am in no way saying don't keep it in fact i have you know the video we're referencing here with with tim hoffman a brother in christ who keeps passover faithfully um, and and I hope to to keep that with him the when he does that next time. And and we recently went and and kept uh, one of the feasts with him. But my point is that I think there's value in it. I'm not I'm not saying we should throw that concept of Passover in the garbage, but I'm saying it's a big deal that we don't move it out of its place, that we don't give it this greater place of importance that the Bible doesn't give us, that th- the Bible doesn't give it, and in so doing, we dethrone Christ. And I think ultimately that's what's happening um, in this case. But 1 Corinthians, we have Paul mentioning Passover. I think this is this is not Paul saying that believers have to literally keep Passover. I think this is Paul saying we should keep it as believers in a symbolic sense, that Christ, he says, Christ is our Passover lamb. So here we're, we're seeing he's using a symbolic, um, analogies saying that Christ is is the uh, is symbolic of the or the Passover Lamb is symbolic ultimately uh, of Christ who fulfilled that um, that picture. And so, I think as believers, what Paul is saying here is that there is a a symbolic way that we now should keep the Passover, which involves removing the unleavened bread, which I think speaks of getting rid of all that is within that it, within us that is from the flesh, all that is. From our 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 old man, our old nature, and we are to get get that out. We are to remove that. We are to die to our old self and put on put on the new man. Put off the old man, and so we are to um, we are also to embrace Christ as our Passover lamb. By faith, we're to look to Him and embrace Him, and, and <laughs> I think go we can go as far as John six to eat Him. We eat Christ in a spiritual sense. By believing in Him and receiving for ourselves all that He is, that is us consuming Christ as our Passover Lamb, it, and so I think, I think there's a lot more being said here about about keeping the Passover in a symbolic or or spiritual sense than Paul trying to say believers have to literally keep Passover uh, to be saved, and so here's the problem though like even if paul in this moment is suggesting and and telling believers to keep the passover feast the question still has to be asked <laughs> why did he never mention that in uh acts why did he never bring that up in the message of the gospel i think the point there is that even if this is paul giving a literal recommendation to keep passover you can't you can't connect it to the gospel message you can't you can't put the observance of Passover into the category of a requirement for forgiveness of sins because Paul doesn't do that here in the context of first uh, Corinthians five. He doesn't do that. He does not, he doesn't say that Passover keeping is a requirement for forgiveness of sins. And I've had, I've had conversations with members about that particular point who have debated me about that. And uh, it can be shown that there's, there's nothing in here about keeping Passover to be forgiven of sins. But um, so all that to say, even if Paul is saying keep the Passover in a literal sense, he's not connecting that as a requirement to being forgiven. And if he is, then why did he never mention that in his preaching in the book of Acts? Um, I think if it is a requirement, here's another point I wanna bring up. If, If Passover keeping is a requirement for forgiveness of sins, if it is the core of the gospel, then the fact that this is the one moment where Paul alludes to it, he, he he mentions it in the epistles in 1 Corinthians 5, that's the one time he mentions it. To me, that tells me that if it is the core of the gospel, the apostles were incredibly uh, negligent to, to, ne- to never give the church more specific instructions or directions um, about this. If this is the core of the gospel, then why is it that the one time that Paul really specifically looks at it and mentions it um, like this, is it it's it's even it's vague about what, what Passover is or what it accomplishes for the believer. And it certainly doesn't um it doesn't tie Passover observance to forgiveness of sins. So my point is that I think if it is the core of the gospel, then the fact that the apostles never mentioned it, except for you know the, these few times where it's vague about what, what the meaning is, about what the purpose of it is, that shows to me that the disciples and the apostles must have been very negligent. I think even you could say deceitful because they never really gave the church uh, any sort of teaching or direction or, or exhortation toward the core, the core of the gospel. And to me, that's hugely problematic. That means that every time, you know, in Acts, when somebody asks Paul, what do we have to do to be saved? Or, or even when Jesus is asked by, you know, in John six, they, they ask him, you know, what does God require of us? The fact that they never mentioned Passover, if Passover is the core of the gospel, I think we, I have to conclude that they're just being deceptive. They were hiding and keeping back from these people that were asking what, what they needed to do to be saved they're holding back the core uh, elements of, of what gives us salvation, of what ultimately redeems us and and brings us into right relationship with um, with God. To me, um, that's very problematic. Um, so so yeah, that's the question I'm asking that I have yet to have an answer for: is if the Passover is the core, why why is it barely mentioned? Um, and is was God being deceptive? Was Paul being deceptive to never mention it? So here's here's a good, uh, really good example of that. Uh, in Acts 15. Actually, before before I jump into Acts 15, I am going to. I'm going to look here in the comments because I know there's a lot going on here that I've been missing, um, and see if there's any questions for me. Okay, I see. Hello, Christopher. Hello, Kelsey, I see you guys showing up here in the comments. I'm glad you're here with us. So Kelsey, you said Jesus too, he never taught that Passover was the core of the gospel and mentioned it just as much as the disciples. Yes, absolutely. You never see Jesus giving any sort of, um, he never expounds on the Passover. He never goes into any detail about it. Um, he doesn't He doesn't teach it. He certainly doesn't, uh, teach about it as if it's something that believers will have to continue doing to be forgiven of sins. And um, Kelsey said, also, there's no proof that Aung San Kong kept the Passover before 1964, according to the way the WMSCOG explains it. Yes, that's uh, also also very significant when you start tying in, not only, I think, the doctrinal problems that the Bible presents with the WMSCOG doctrine of the Passover, but you begin to see, uh, what Aung Song Hong taught and, and so many contradictions, I believe that exist, uh, within that. Uh, so there's that whole area too, that Kelsey does a really good job of covering that in some of the videos we've, um, already done. So again, guys, if you have any, um, if you have any questions about this, any comments, again, make sure you put the at symbol great light studios just so that is highlighted and I can see that uh, show up more clearly. Okay. So a, cu- a couple more things. Um, I don't want to drag this on too long, so I'll try to wrap up soon. Um, but here's, here's another point that I think is significant that, <clears throat> and I do want to get to Acts 15 I'll probably end with Acts 15, but I'm going to go to right now. I want to go to Colossians 2 18. Okay. So, not not only are, uh, would I have to conclude that the disciples, the apostles who wrote the New Testament, Jesus himself would would have to be deceptive and misleading if the, or the Passover is truly the core of the gospel as the WMSCOG teaches. Um, I think that's true because they don't mention it directly as a requirement. They never expound on it or teach on it. So there's not only that aspect, but there's this side of it too, that every time um, you get any sort of mention uh, of feasts, of even even Sabbath, um, I think Passover, which is included within uh, references to the feast, you have places like Colossians 2 and Romans 14. So these places where Paul or the apostles specifically address the question of, do believers have to keep these things or not? Whenever that's actually specifically addressed, as you would expect it to be if it is a core, the core uh, message of the gospel, the only times it is really specifically mentioned, specifically examined by Paul and the apostles, (laughs) in every case, it's always Paul rebuking believers or correcting believers or encouraging believers, mostly to not keep it or to not put on themselves the burden of having to keep it, and and telling believers to not judge one another, or to base each other's spirituality or their Christian maturity on whether or not they are observing these feasts and these rituals. So, Colossians two eighteen it says. Um, actually, I'm going to jump back to. Let me just let me just go to the full chapter so we can have the whole context pulled up. So, Colossians two. Um, this is a a great place to go when dealing with these kind of questions about Sabbath and um, understanding, I think, what, what really, what is the core of the gospel according to the Bible? Um, Colossians 2, I think, lays it out so clearly in so many different ways. So jumping now, and actually I'm going to start in verse 16. Paul says, let no one judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a feast, a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come. But the body, or other translations will say the substance, the reality that casts it belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you with speculations about what he has seen. Such a person is puffed up without basis by his unspiritual mind. He has lost connection to the head from whom the whole body supported and knit together by his joints and ligaments grows as God causes it to grow. Okay. So what is he saying there? Well, he's telling us there that actually a mark of an unspiritual person, a mark of somebody who's lost connection to Christ, the way to tell that is if that person is judging other people's spirituality on whether or not they are observing certain feasts. So in that moment, when Paul mentions feasts, he mentions the feasts of God. In, in in the conversation of do these Colossian believers need to keep it or, or not? Is it a requirement or not? You had these people coming that I think were judging them and, and sort of casting this condemnation on them, making them feel as if they were less mature, less spiritual. They weren't, they weren't walking fully in all that God wanted them to walk in because they weren't keeping Sabbath. They weren't keeping the feasts. Well, when Paul addresses that specifically, he says those people, rather than the, the people who weren't observing the feast and Sabbath, who, who had freedom to not do those things, rather than them being the unspiritual and the immature ones, actually it was those who were judging them and judging their spirituality uh, based on the fact that they weren't giving these things. These were the ones who were unspiritual. And he even, he even says things like they were, they're unspiritual, they're disconnected from Christ as the head. Uh, and I think that's 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 ultimately at the source is when people, really, they get cut off from Christ as their head. They stop thinking and perceiving doctrine and reality through the lens of Jesus and the supremacy of who he is. They stop viewing doctrine through the lens of Jesus being the core, Jesus being the way, truth, and life. And they begin to elevate other things, make other things way, truth, and life, the core. And that is when people start to create doctrines it's like these are chickens running around with their heads cut off. They're running around trying to accomplish things, but really they're just making a mess because you don't have the head from whom, Paul says in Colossians 2 again, the whole body grows. So when we disconnect from the truth of who Jesus is, I think the the, the doctrinal theological teachings about who he is and the, the as the core, as the way, truth, and life, when we disconnect from that, we're not operating or or examining scriptures. We're not we're not interpreting the Bible through that lens as with Christ as our head, I think then again, we become like chickens who have lost our heads and we're running around trying to teach and do all these things, but really we're just making a mess because we're disconnected from the one who is the source, again, Colossians 2, of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They're not hidden within Passover or a feast, as as this says, they're hidden in a person, Jesus. So Romans 14, this is another example of, okay, the times that Paul or the apostles do mention feasts or the observance of certain days, um, or valuing and seeing other days as more important, more holy than other days. When Paul addresses that question to believers, this is another, another example of times that he does. does he uh, Does he mention that there are actually days that believers should, Consider more holy and set apart and and that if they don't, they're less spiritual, they're less holy. Um, no, he doesn't. In the in all these places where he has specifically addresses those questions, this is this is the kind of stuff we see. So this is Romans 14. And I know you guys are familiar with this. I know this is stuff we talked about before, but we continue to get people in the comments that never really address these things. And so I'm going to continue to lay these things out and talk about these things um, because I feel like we just, we never really get good responses to them. So Romans 14, uh, let's see, we should start probably in, let's start in verse um, four. Let's start in verse four. So Paul says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? Actually, let me change the translation. I don't love that translation there. Okay, ESV is what we're in now. So who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another. Okay, think about this. Here's Paul specifically addressing the question. In the sight of God, as followers of Christ, is there a certain day or days that we should esteem as better, more holy, more sanctified, than another, That we need to specifically devote our time and, and and set aside as more holy than other days. Okay, that's the question Paul's addressing here in the church. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gave thanks to God while the one who abstains, abstains from what? The one who abstains from uh, esteeming a certain day as as more holy or better than another. The one who does this abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So, So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And then he jumped down to verse 10. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And then this last part here. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Paul is addressing the question. You had, again, this is in the context of certain believers who they saw certain days. And most likely, I think I think it's fair to assume this probably had a lot to do with uh, Saturday Sabbath. Uh, most likely it had to do with different feasts and the observance of feasts and different uh, festivals, different seasons of, of the year and times of the year where certain people held this view. Um, and especially those coming from a Jewish background that these certain days or these certain times of the year are more holy, they're better than others. Okay. This is something that obviously in the old covenant was set up, that what these were things that were established for Israel as a nation. But now we have Gentile believers being brought into this body uh, of God's people. And so this question is is being dealt with. You see that it's being dealt with in the epistles of okay, we have these Gentile believers. Do they do they need to keep and, and esteem certain days is better than another. Um, you have these these people who thought that you need to, yes, certain days are better than others. Saturday, Sabbath is something you need to observe. And you had them judging those who didn't see things that way. They didn't esteem uh, certain days as more holy than another, but they thought all days are alike. All days are holy to the Lord. So you had these brothers who were, I believe, sincere believers that were judging um, those who did not observe certain days. Now, again, let's look at this. Let's, because this this is the question we're all asking. This is really what it comes down to. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Here we have the Apostle Paul, the New Testament, addressing I think this argument that we're having. the The argument about Passover Sabbath is it a requirement for salvation? Here's one of the clearest moments where Paul is specifically addressing this point. And how does he answer? One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. If it is true that we should all esteem certain days as better than another, then this is not the answer that Paul should give. Listen to what he says. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay, <laughs> if Passover is is a time of year, a, a day or a season of, of, of the year where that should be set apart as more holy. If Sabbath on Saturday is a day that every believer must, in order to have salvation, observe as more holy or esteem as better than another, then Paul in Romans 14 should have said, again, one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. This is what Paul should have said but the one who esteems all days alike is wrong. He doesn't know the truth. In fact, he's missing the core of the, the core of the gospel because the core of the gospel is actually about esteeming one day or certain days as better than another. That is what, something like that along those lines is what Paul should have said here, if the WMSCOG is accurate, if their understanding of Passover and its purpose, uh, uh, and again, we're, we're talking about, I think Sabbath can be included in this, that should have that should have been more along the lines of what Paul said here. But rather, he says each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So Paul does not agree. He's not agreeing with the one who does esteem certain days as better than another. He's not he's not saying, yes, these guys are correct. They are right. They understand the core of the gospel. And you guys who esteem all days alike, you're wrong. Paul actually says, No. If, if you're a person who before god you feel this compelling this conviction that i want to observe certain days as more holy as more set apart than other days during my week or or out of the year paul is saying well you should be fully convinced and you should do that in faith but what about those who don't see it that way what about people like me who i personally i think all days are equal i don't i don't want to just set apart certain days every week where I think this is the day where I'm going to devote my myself, my time, my energy to the Lord, this day is more holy. I believe that in Christ, every day is equally holy and I should see it that way. As every day is equally holy, I wanna set apart every day as equally holy. I don't just worship on Sunday. I don't just worship on Saturday. I wanna be a person. I think we all should wanna be people who are worshiping God or creator every day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and every month of the year as well. And rather than rebuking that idea in <coughs> those who were thinking that way in Romans 14, rather than rebuking it, correcting it, and telling these people who thought that way that they were wrong and know you're missing the core of the gospel, Paul doesn't do that, but he encourages them in that. And he says, yes, this is what you should be doing. If you are convinced that every day is alike, then let no one pass judgment on you, going back to Colossians 2. Let no one pass judgment on you about whether you are keeping feasts or whether you're not. Okay, so this goes both both ways. I should not look at those of you who feel compelled, convicted, to keep the feast, to observe Sabbath and say, you're more uh, you know, you're more legalistic, you're you're unspiritual, you don't, you don't understand the Bible and the gospel. No, that's not my job to do that. I'm not supposed to judge you or any of my brothers or sisters for for the days that they do or do not observe. Okay, this is this is the command of Paul in the Bible, in Romans 14, when he specifically addresses this thing. In the same way, those of you who do observe Sabbath, Passover, the feast, etc., you you are commanded to not judge those like me who observe uh, or, or who see all days as equally holy who esteem all days alike. So let no let, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Guys, Passover is not the core of the gospel. Saturday Sabbath keeping is not a requirement to be forgiven of sins, okay? If it was, then these these few moments in the epistles when paul ever or or any of the apostles ever address these things sabbath and the feasts certain holy days uh, or days as being more holy than others when he addresses these questions and these divisions that were arising because of these questions within the church not one time does paul ever say yes passover is a requirement for forgiveness forgiveness of sins Yes, Sabbath keeping is something you must do and you should do. He doesn't do that ever. Um, what he does do, as he says, let's not pass judgment on each other. He, said, he, he, explains, and he, he uh, explains this freedom that we have in Christ, that Christ has brought us out of, of the, um, what Paul often will say, bondage of rules, laws and ordinances He's, he's done away with that way of relating to God. And he's given us this new way where God gives us his Holy Spirit. He changes our hearts. And what ultimately God is looking for, what ultimately God is interested in, the core of the gospel is what Paul says in Galatians, where he says what counts. Let me just pull this up so you know I'm not just pulling it out of thin air. So the core of the gospel, look at this first, Galatians 6, 15. Paul says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, and I believe I'm convinced based on places like Romans 14, based on Colossians 2, based on all the other things we know about the scriptures. The fact that the apostles never preached Passover and Sabbath in in uh, in their gospel message. I believe you can include Passover, Sabbath, and the feasts within this. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, nor keeping the Sabbath. Or not keeping the Sabbath, observing Passover, or not observing Passover means anything. It doesn't mean anything in the eyes of God. Ultimately, what counts is the new creation. What God is ultimately interested in, what God ultimately wants and desires, um, again, the core of the gospel is that we are transformed into new creations. Um, So, Galatians 5 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, again, neither uncircumcision or uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So what is God interested in? According to that scripture and so many others that say that same thing, what is God in God's eyes? What is the core of the gospel? Well, the core of the gospel is it involves a person who has this faith and trust in God and God's grace toward us. What God has done for us rather than a focus on what we're gonna do for God. And that faith in the goodness of God leads to a changed heart where we respond to the knowledge of how much God loves us by loving Him. It's something that happens automatic. When you know and you really by faith start to understand, God loves me, He accepts me, not because of anything I've done or anything I'm going to do, not because of my good works, my good deeds, my, Any good action or behavior or ordinance or rule I'm going to keep, God accepts me because of how good he is, not how good I am. What Paul is saying, again, is that what counts is that a person embraces that truth by faith, believes it, and it results in love. It results in them becoming a new creation, uh, as he says in Galatians 6.15. It results in a person Having a changed mind, um, and it, it's it's the the new covenant, right? That God promised. He said, "Behold, the the days are coming when I'll give. Um, I'm going to butcher this verse. I know, but I'll give my people my spirit. They'll they'll be given a new heart, a new mind, so that they'll love me and keep my laws." So the core of the gospel is that we change inwardly, not that we conform outwardly to certain behaviors and rules. Okay, again, Paul says circumcision and uncircumcision. I think we can put Passover, Sabbath, all that in that in that same place and say, these things ultimately, if that's our focus, if that's what we think is the core of the gospel, these things mean nothing. They don't count for anything in the eyes of God. What counts is that his love and the truth of the gospel is making us into different people who ultimately fulfill the first commandment, the first and greatest commandment. Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. These two things within this is all the law and the prophets. That's Jesus's words and that's Paul's words. If you're doing these two things, if I'm loving God and I'm loving my neighbor as myself, then in that I'm fulfilling the whole point of the feast. I'm fulfilling the whole point of the law. Okay, so that's why Paul is saying what counts is a a new creation. It's not whether or not I'm keeping feasts, Sabbath, all these things. What counts is that my faith in God my knowledge of who he is, is resulting in me changing inwardly so that I am now somebody who has been changed by God. So I'm fulfilling the first command. I'm fulfilling all the law simply through love. Love fulfills the law is what Paul says. And that is why he says that what what counts is faith working through love. So you can be somebody who keeps Passover, who keeps Sabbath, who does all these good things, But if ultimately you're not knowing how much God loves you, you're not knowing that and believing that, and it's not changing you into a more loving person toward God and toward other people, then that it counts for nothing. Um, And I think many of you, I'm sure you would agree with that and you know that. Um, But so to kind of wrap that point up, um, we can see that Jesus absolutely agreed. So John 6, 28, again, John 6, this is a place where, the WMSUG's doctrines uh, and teachings about Passover are largely sourced from here. But uh <clears throat> says, then they asked him, they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Okay, again, this is a perfect moment. What a perfect opportunity for Jesus to say, okay, well, here's the core of the gospel because that, that's what they wanted, right? They want to know what—what what is it ultimately? What's what's What does God really, really want from us? Well, according... According to this, according to the YouTube comments, according to the WMSCOG doctrine, what God really wants, what God requires, the answer, their answer to this question is, well, God wants you ultimately to observe Sabbath, to, to figure out how to properly keep Passover because the, this is the core of the gospel. That's the WMSCOG, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. And that's certainly not what Jesus says. So look at what Jesus says. What must we be doing to do the works of God? This is the, this is the same sort of question um, that they asked in they asked Peter in Acts when they said, uh, brothers, what shall we do is what they asked Peter. What, what, what do we need to do in response to this gospel message that we just heard? And what does Jesus say? I just lost it. Here it is. Okay, so this is Jesus's response. Next verse, John six twenty nine. Jesus answered, "The work of God is this: to believe in the one who he has sent." Does that sound familiar? That is, I think, Jesus's way of saying exactly what Paul says in Galatians five six. What counts, Jesus says, the only thing that ultimately counts is faith expressing itself through love. So you have these people, these Jews. Asking Jesus, what does God ultimately want from us? What does he require? What are, what are his commands? Give us a list of things that we we need to do that God requires so that we can know that we're okay, so that we can know that we're forgiven. Jesus says, this, this is the work of God. This is what he wants from you. Believe in the one whom he has sent. I like this translation here, the New Living Translation. It says, this is the only work God wants from you. The only work God requires, believe in the one whom he has sent. Okay, and again, Paul, Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is, is what? Faith, believe in the one whom he has sent. A, a kind of faith, not just a faith that, that says, that mentally assents to the gospel and then goes off and lives in sin and rebellion and hates God, okay? That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about what Paul's talking about, a faith that expresses itself through love. Okay, so this is this is again something that I know we got to continue to cover and talk about, but this is not saying that we simply believe and then we go off and live however we want. No, the whole point of what Paul's saying is that real faith is something that makes you a new creation. It changes who you are, it changes your desires, it makes you an obedient person. It 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 forms you by God's power, by his spirit, into a person who obeys the the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, about what it looks like to love your enemies, what it looks like to not be an impure adulterer in your heart and mind, what it looks like to to not murder, which which is to not only uh, not kill somebody, but to not hold hatred in your heart. So Jesus is getting at uh, that what God ultimately wants is something more than this outward conforming to a certain pattern of behaviors or rules. And I, I, I think you all know this, even you in the WMSUG. I think you would agree that that's what God ultimately wants, that that God isn't just interested in outward observances of, of Passover and Sabbath, but he wants a changed heart. But that, that, yeah, but that's exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing that the kind of faith that ultimately matters to God is one that makes me into it, an obedient person. So this isn't, this isn't faith without works. It's just getting the order right. It's saying that my works and what I do doesn't come first. It's not about, I first do these things, then God justifies me. Um, Rather, it's about, by faith, God freely justifies me. And because of that, I then obey. I become an obedient person. I think the WMSUG, honestly, and I think about this, feel free to question me on this. Feel free to challenge me on this. Feel free to dive into the teachings of the WMSCOG yourself and ask if this is true, but I think the WMSCOG and so many other groups like them get this order backwards. They do not teach a message of the gospel that says, God first loves you, he loves you, he accepts you, he embraces you. Romans 5, while you are still weak, while you're still a sinner, simply by faith. And because of that faith, it's going to make you into a new creation, somebody who's capable of loving, then you're going to walk out good works. Okay, I think that's the true order of the gospel. But rather than justification and then good works, they put it as good works. First, you have to do. First, you have to work. You have to perform. You have to put in your time. You have to put in your tithes. You have to put in your your preaching. You have to put in your your Passover observance, your Saturday, Sabbath. And if you do all these things, then, then maybe someday, some way, you can hope that at the end, you're justified you can hope that's maybe if you're putting in your time enough god's going to repay you uh by giving his grace that that i think if you're if you're honest and i think if you really stop and think about what the wmsot teaches you would agree that that's kind of the concept that that comes out of of what they teach that's the gospel it puts works before justification. And in doing so, they're getting everything we've talked about, everything we've seen, all these scriptures we've looked at, it's getting it backwards um, because the only thing that counts is faith. What God wants is first we believe because God knows that a true faith is going to result not in somebody who doesn't obey, not in somebody who doesn't keep God's commands. It's going to result in, in this person becoming the only kind of human being who can truly obey, who can truly keep God's commands, in more than just an outward way, but it, it's coming forth from a, a inward transformation of the heart. And as Paul says, as Jesus says, in God's sight, that's the only thing that counts. Okay, we are. I'm saying a lot of stuff. Uh, um, I know, and and this is this is kind of what happens when I don't. <clears throat> I just kind of jump into this. I this was this very spur of the moment video. I've just I've been thinking about the, this comment and and other comments like it that have kind of just. Um, I think about these things, I ponder them, and I just kind of had to sit down and, and and start talking about it today. So I know this is long. I know I'm saying a lot. I know I'm probably repeating a lot of things we've uh, talked about in past videos, uh, but I think this is um, hugely important stuff. So I'm gonna look at the comments one more time. I'm gonna see if there's any questions or things that I wanna comment on. And I'm gonna end with, I'm gonna really it quick, quickly um, I promise I'll, I'll, I'll be really quick. And I'm gonna look at Acts chapter 15 to kind of wrap this up and conclude what we're saying. I think Acts 15 is a great place to go. That is a really good place that I think summarizes all the different points um, that I've made here. Okay, so I'm, I'm here looking in the comments. Um, I see, looks like there's there's a discussion going on. So Kelsey said, um, Hong Song Hong is in the Seventh-day Adventist church. How could he have kept it the way the WMSCOG keeps it? Interesting. He couldn't have, could he? I mean, if he was in that church, if he was in the Seventh-day Adventist church, then um, it's hard to understand how he could have been properly keeping um, Passover or Sabbath or any of these things. But uh, Kelsey, you said the WMSCOG, Uh, rebuts these verses saying, it's the disciples saying, don't let anyone judge you for missing a Sabbath or another feast. Interesting. So that's in reference to Colossians 2. Um, So you're saying that um, their rebuttal, I'm not entirely sure, Kelsey, if if you want to maybe expound on that a little bit on what their answer is. So don't let anyone judge you for missing a Sabbath or another feast. So are you are you saying that basically they're saying Colossians two is Paul just encouraging believers that if they if they might miss a Sabbath or two here and there, don't let their brothers judge them for that? Is that is that what you're saying their reply is? Um, I'll wait and see if you respond, and then uh, maybe talk about that a little bit more. Um, it's a, Kelsey said it's amazing how the church never pushes members to read the verses around this one. Definitely changes the meaning. That is yeah. That is so true. That is so important, and that's that's what this comes down to, guys. Is I'm not I'm not here just trying to attack a group. I'm not here even um, trying to say that I've got all the answers and that you should listen to me. You know, like listen to me, not them, because I got it figured out. I got it right. I'm just saying I, I want us to look at this and be honest with this. Um, I want to continue talking about this question of Sabbath and Passover, and. And I want to hear your side of it, um, because when I when I go to the scriptures, I'm just I'm trying to find out what does this say. What did Jesus teach? What did Paul teach? Because that's the ultimate authority for both of us. I, I'm sure we we agree with that. We agree that if it's not in here, if we can't find it taught in here, then we shouldn't accept it and embrace it. And so, guys, that's like honestly where I'm trying to come from. And in saying that, I'm saying as we continue, I want to continue talking about Passover and Sabbath. I want, I, I love being even challenged by brothers like Tim Hoffman, who we have on the videos, who who feel this conviction that they should keep Passover and Sabbath. Um, and I love hearing their perspective. And I know that there's so much I could learn from them and, and things that I probably haven't even thought of before. But ultimately what I wanna do and what I want you to do, what I hope this video is encouraging you to do is exactly what Kelsey said here in this comment, is that we are not just picking a verse here and there out of these different places in the Bible, like I think the WMSCOG so commonly does and ignoring the whole rest of the context around it. So when I hear the WMSCOG addressing issues of Passover and Sabbath, what they do is they'll pull out the, the, the couple verses, one here where it says it was Paul's custom to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath and proclaim the gospel, basically is what this, it says. So they pull that one little verse out and they say, see, so keeping Sabbath on Saturday is something you have to do for forgiveness of sins. Do you see the problem with that? Do you see why that is such a, <laughs> a terrible way to interpret this book? Okay, you, ha- you have to go to the context and they 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 take out of that one little verse, what they want, what they want to get out of it, and they ignore the rest of it. So even in that verse, it tells us why did Paul go to the Sabbath or why did Paul go to the synagogue on Sabbath? It says nothing about Paul went to synagogue on Sabbath because he knew that was you know the core of the gospel uh, or, or this primary uh, requirement of God. And he knew that he, he had to continue to keep Sabbath to be forgiven of sins. Obviously, that, that's, that's kind of a stretch, but it, it says nothing like that. And again, in fact, it tells us why Paul went into the synagogue on the Sabbath as his custom, because he wanted to proclaim the gospel. Think about it. What what would be the best time for Paul, who wanted to proclaim the gospel to his brothers, his Jewish brothers and sisters, what would have been the best day of the week for him to do that, to be a regular time for him to do that? Sabbath, right? Because that's the time when the most Jews would be congregated at the same place at the same time. So it tells us Paul went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom, to proclaim the gospel uh, because he wanted to bring the light of the gospel to his brothers and sisters in, in his Jewish community who knew, needed the gospel, who didn't have the full message of salvation. <clears throat> so I'm not saying Paul didn't keep Sabbath. I'm not saying, I think maybe maybe it was his custom. Uh, that, that, I think that's even kind of beside the point. And, and again, I'm not trying to say he's not. I'm, trying, I'm not trying to argue that he didn't keep, keep the Sabbath or Passover or anything. And I said that earlier. I think he very may, uh, very well may have kept these things. Um, but the point is he never commands us to keep them. He never commands Jew uh, first. He never commands the Jews to continue keeping these things. So I think maybe good argument could be made. There's maybe a better case to be made that Jews should still keep them. But more than that, he most definitely never commands Gentiles, which is you, uh, you, I'm pointing to myself, which is you and which is me. Okay. Paul never said, he never commands us to keep them. So that's, that's the point. I don't, I don't want to get sidetracked on that again, but yes, we have these, these places that I think the WCUG will just pull out what they want, but they will ignore the rest of the context. Okay. Yes. Acts describes Paul as going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. But that means nothing, and it, it doesn't in any way answer or solve the dilemma that he never teaches other believers to do the same. He never teaches you and me as Gentile believers to do the same thing, to, to also keep Sabbath. And he certainly never ties Sabbath-keeping or Passover to forgiveness um, of sins. So, okay, so let me see. I think Kelsey might have... Um, Clarified that. So the WMSCOG says that Paul isn't saying we don't need to keep Sabbath. He's just saying, don't judge someone if they miss it, but that we still need to keep it. Just don't judge someone for missing it. Okay. So guys, this, this is the problem again, it is that's an argument that it's, just, it's not within, it's not within these verses. Okay. So that's, that's in reference to Colossians too. So let me look at it again. So Let's see what he says. Therefore, let no one judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a feast, a new moon or a Sabbath. Okay. So here would be my question. Where in this verse is he, is he limiting this to, to saying, don't judge those who miss it? Like don't, or don't let those, uh, your brothers and sisters judge you if you miss it. Nowhere in this does he mention missing it or not. He's just saying with regard to a feast, a new moon or a Sabbath. So if you want to know, if you want to be clarified about what he's talking about, about about whether he's just saying, you know, don't judge a brother if they miss it or don't let anybody judge you if you miss a Sabbath here and there. If you want to know, is that what he's saying? Well, just go to Romans 14 and you just go back to this question. One person that seems one day is better than another, while another seems all days alike. So putting that within the context of colossians 2 we we can we can answer the question in paul's mind here does he have certain days as days that we should esteem as higher than another well no he doesn't because he tells us each one should be fully convinced in his own mind so I think, I think, yeah, this, this is just one example, I think, again, of Kelsey, what you're saying, that they take one verse, but they ignore the rest of the context of Scripture. We can look at places like Romans 14, and we can know that um, Paul wasn't just saying, don't judge a believer, don't let them judge you when you miss a Sabbath. <clears throat> but he's saying in, entirely in regards to whether you do or do not, don't let somebody judge you. Um, don't let somebody judge you if you do keep feasts, and don't let somebody judge you if you don't. The whole point here, what he what he's getting at, is that believers were being distracted from him, from Jesus. They were being distracted from uh, Christ as the the center point. As um, like right here, it says in verse nine: "For in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form." This is what believers were getting distracted in. The whole message that was being, I think, pushed to uh, to these Colossian believers was that if they don't keep Sabbath, if they don't keep the feast and the new moon, then they're not complete. They're not complete spiritually, right? <laughs> isn't that, isn't that the, the most common, um, uh, thing you hear from groups like the WMSCOG that if you don't keep the feast, if you don't observe Sabbath, then you're not complete. That I think if you look at the context, again, if you don't just pull this one, uh, one verse out here or there, but look at the entire context of what this is saying, I think it's clear that Paul is addressing not only the question of believers who miss Sabbath, but the entire question of whether you have to keep it or not. He's telling us that we are complete in Christ. So if I'm complete in Christ, if I'm complete in the person of Jesus alone, by faith in him, if somebody comes along and tells me, well, yeah, you know, Jesus is great. He's, he's good and all, but you also need to keep a feast. You also need to make sure you're observing Sabbath because if you don't do these things on top of you know, having your relationship with Jesus, you are not complete. So yeah, I, I hope that kind of, that's probably uh, something that that reply, that argument that they have uh, or that response to Colossians 2 is something I want to um, continue to look into more and, and and think of the best way to resolve that. But I think it really just goes back to the whole point of looking at the context. If you look at the context of Colossians 2, it's definitely not about um, what I think their their reply entails to that. Um, and, and, and yeah, Kelsey said, Paul could have kept those days, but he never taught it was critical for salvation. <clears throat> and uh, I think that's important. That's the question that we have to keep coming back to is, at the end of the day, <clears throat> if, if like they're saying that, uh, you know, believers shouldn't judge one another if they miss Sabbath, but Sabbath is still something you should keep. Well, I would just say, show me, show me that. You're just right now, the WMSCOG, it's just you telling me that. I don't see that in the Bible. You haven't shown me a place in the Bible where Jesus, Paul, or any of the apostles or teachings of the epistles tell me to do that. Really, it's just you telling me it. So I don't want to hear what you think I should do that. You think I should keep Saturday, Sabbath, or Passover. I want you to show me the Bible or, or the apostles, the teachings of the apostles telling me that. And as we've shown, and I think as we'll continue to see if you actually don't just pick a verse out here and there, but look at the entire context of uh, the new Testament in particular, you're going to see that it's just not in there. You don't, you don't see the apostles um, uh, giving any of these sayings any sort of importance um, or, or, setting them up as a requirement. And you certainly don't see them connecting these things to forgiveness of sins um, and salvation. Okay, I'm gonna look through the comments a little bit more. I know this is gonna be kind of a longer uh, video, but hopefully that's okay. Okay, again, if you have any questions, I'm gonna try to wrap up soon, so um, put them out now. Okay, so KM, you said you're right, Kelsey. Huge contradiction in the way they actually behave when someone misses Sabbath or does not keep it. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point. So even if if the way they interpret Colossians two, if that interpretation is true, which I think contextually it's not, um, there, there there's no argument really. I don't think a good argument to be made that that's what Paul's saying. But even if it is true, uh, what KM here is saying is that they. You know, when they, the way they behave, the way the WMSCOG actually behaves when members do miss it, while they're disobeying their interpretation of Colossians 2. They're not, there's so much, there's so much judgment. There's so much criticism. And ultimately, I think fear of hell that is involved in all of this, fear of judgment that they place on the observance of uh, keeping Sabbath on Saturday or not. So, so if that is the reply, Kelsey, as you gave... (laughs) then my question is, why are you guys, why are you judging your brothers? Okay. Why, why are you saying that a person can't miss Sabbath um, and, and not, a person can't not keep Sabbath and and still be saved? A person will lose, you know, their salvation. They won't be in a right relationship with God unless they continue to keep Sabbath, continue to to keep Passover at the right time. That is the, the uh, epitome of judging another believer. That's, that is like, the most clear way I can think of that you could uh, disobey Paul in Romans 14 when he says, don't judge, don't pass judgment on another brother for whether they do or do not esteem one day as better than another. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, KM, he said, one of the most obvious ones is the way they entirely disregard and discredit another Christian's logic or knowledge of the Bible simply because they don't keep Sabbath. That's their big comeback. Yes. Oh man, that's a, that's a really big one. Um, and, And it's, you know, kind of frustrating, but most, you know, I think a lot of members will see the videos we're putting out and we're letting members, former members come and talk and present their case. They're telling their honest story. They're, they're just telling what their experience was. We are presenting honest, I think logical contradictions between the scriptures and their doctrine, but rather than hearing us out, and I think most, most times, rather than giving us a reasonable response or even just being willing to come on and uh, talk with us, you know, I think there's been a few current members who have come on and, and talked, but that's a very rare thing. So rather than giving us responses to some of the problems we're raising, some of the questions we have, the contradictions we have uh, presented, um, rather than doing that, they just say, oh, well, you guys don't keep Sabbath. You guys worship on Sunday, which is just so many assumptions going into what I do with my week. Like you, you have no idea if I go to church on Sunday or not. I've, I don't, as far as I know, I've never told you that I I have any kind of uh, um, view of Sunday as if that's the day I need to worship. Like these are just so many assumptions that you guys these preconceived ideas that I'm not saying I don't even think it's necessarily your guys's fault. you guys are coming in the comments and responding to our videos in this way. but you've been you've been given so many preconceived ideas about me and, and even the former members who were testifying on here really were being demonized um, by your leaders tell us everybody on the internet who has any kind of problem at all with our church is just a false prophet. And, and they're, they're, you know, controlled by Satan. They're, they're just doing it for the money. They're trying to get pocket, whatever, whatever, fill in the blank there. Um, and like you're bringing up here uh, another common one is, well. Oh, well, these guys don't keep Sabbath. You, you, you celebrate Christmas. And so they, rather than listening to what they have to say, they immediately dismiss everything we say, all the, the logic and the the biblical arguments, I think, um that we're presenting. They don't hear and give, you know, rational, objective responses, but they just um kind of throw everything out immediately because we don't keep Sabbath. And and again, what what a clear example <clears throat> I believe of a, disobeying Romans 14, what Paul says. He says, Don't, don't judge another person based on whether or not they esteem one day above the other. So I'm I guess my question would be, why are you coming to these videos? Why Why are you coming even to some of the former members and immediately judging us and casting this kind of demonized view of who we are, of our character, of what our intentions are, and saying, well, because these guys don't keep Sabbath and Passover, they have nothing to say, they're false prophets. That is, again, the clearest example of judging another based on what their views are of certain days being esteemed better than others. That's, that's such a clear view of what it means to, to do exactly what Paul said not to do, both in Romans 14 and if your interpretation, as Kelsey gave of Colossians 2 is correct, that's another point where you're disobeying Paul. He says, don't judge others for, uh, or don't let yourself be judged for uh, not keeping Sabbath. That's exactly what you guys do. So all that to say, this all comes back to, I think, just that what happens when you when you when you exalt these secondary issues and and put them in the place of Christ, it produces a religious, I think, um, self righteous attitude, and, and and it doesn't produce the the faith and love that ultimately God says is is all that counts, and uh, I think that's a problem. So it looks like uh, there's a question here. Dig. I can't, I'm not going to say this name right, but the gang Judah. I got one question from Sabbath issue. Can I ask that one? Yes, go ahead. Go ahead and send that question. Um, try to send it quickly because I'm going to uh, try to wrap this up here. Um, it says they also judge that person as having weak faith. Yes, so true, and which which again is something that Paul clearly says not to do in Romans 14. Um, okay. So as I'm waiting for that question. Acts 15, what what I'm gonna do with this, I'm just gonna encourage you guys to go and read Acts 15. Again, with the question coming into it of, is Passover truly the core of the gospel? As this says, as the WMSCOG says, is it the core of the gospel? Read Acts 15. What's going on here is that you have um, these Gentile believers who are coming in and they're being impressed upon by, uh, uh, I think, the the Judaizers, Ju- the, the Jewish believers to, um, I think it's this involves circumcision, if I remember right. It's been a while since I've read this, so let me see real quick. Um, yeah, so it's, but some believers, it says in, in verse five, let me read this real quick. I got pulled up on screen. So, but some believers from the party of the Pharisees stood up and declared the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Okay, so that's what this whole, uh, most of this chapter entails is the apostles addressing that question of, do these new Gentile believers need to take on the uh, the Jewish customs, the Jewish laws, these Old Testament commands uh, of God? Um, and all this, I think what would be included in here would be things like Sabbath and Passover. So ultimately, I'm just going to read this one verse and again, encourage you to go read it personally. Um So here's the reply of the apostles to that teaching. So starting in verse 23, they they sent the Gentile believers a red letter. So actually verse 24. It has come to our attention that some went out from us without our authorization and unsettled you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose men to send to you along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to tell you in person the same things we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond these essential requirements. Okay? Listen to this. This is the same thing. Again, the people are asking. It's, it's the same thing as John 6. It's the same thing we saw in Acts chapter 2. People coming and asking the ones with the message of the gospel, the ones who God gave the, the, the authority to proclaim what God's requirements are for salvation. People are coming and asking them. They're wondering, what do we have to do? What are the requirements? What are the necessary things? It's John 6. What What must we be doing to be doing the works of God? The essential requirements. If Passover is the core of the gospel, you would think this this would be a perfect time for it to show up. Um, Excuse me. So he says, you must abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. (laughs) That's it. Uh, No mention of Passover. No mention of that anywhere. So read Acts 15 such a great place to see that the apostles did not mention Passover, even in when they said these, they laid out the necessary requirements. If Passover is the core of the gospel, it should have been in there, and it wasn't. That's a problem, and you have to ask yourself, why didn't the apostles, in their gospel preaching, and in that case, in their direct uh, instructions to the church about what these Gentile believers, about what they should be doing, if they should take on elements of the law of Moses, the apostles' answer to that question—the necessary requirements—did not involve Sabbath. They didn't involve Passover. So, if Sabbath and Passover are these core, foundational requirements for forgiveness of sins, how deceptive the apostles were being in that moment! How misleading they were! Um, they left out the core requirements. They, they they said nothing about the core requirements of the gospel. That that. Juchul Kim says, within Passover, the secrets of, what does he say? The secrets of salvation, I think is what he says. Let me see here. I just want to make sure I'm not misquoting him. Yes, the secret of eternal life. If if Passover contains the secret of eternal life, page 137, of my sheep listen to my voice, then the apostles in, in Acts 15 I have to conclude they deceived the church there. They were completely deceptive. They withheld the true message of salvation. They misled those believers to to not walk in and perform the the most important aspect of the gospel according to to this, (laughs) not according to me. Um, And so I, I just have to conclude, if you're right, If this is true, if the WMSCOG doctrine is true, the apostles were, uh, I would say, bordering on lying, being deceptive, misleading, completely irresponsible. So I feel like you can't have, you can't have, uh, you have to choose one or the other. (laughs) Um, If this is true, then the apostles were deceitful and misleading, okay? But if I think if we just look simply at the testimony of the, the scriptures and we look at what did the apostles think, the core requirements what did the apostles think was the core of the gospel then we have to conclude this can't be true they can't both be true because you can't have passover being the core of the gospel yet it's left out of every gospel message preached in the in the new testament guys come on this doesn't make sense how does that make sense to you how does it make sense that the record of of the apostles the one who started the church the, the ones who had this direct message, they spoke to Jesus, our Lord. He gave them this message of salvation to preach. He, he told them what the core things were. And when they went out and started to proclaim that message, they never mentioned Passover. How can you say that Passover then is the core of the gospel and that it contains the secret of eternal life? That makes no sense. These can't both be true. These cannot both be true. One of them is wrong. And you know what? I think I think that the one that showed up 2,000 years later after this is wrong. I, I'm going to go with this one. I'm going to go with what this says. I'm not going to trust uh, some guys in South Korea that came along 2,000 years later and started to say so many things that directly contradict what this tells me. So again, I'm willing to continue having this conversation with you. I'm willing to continue listening to your points. If you have an answer to these questions that I'm raising in this video, I really want to hear them. I want to hear what you what your responses are. If you have what you feel is a legitimate response, you feel like you can make this match with this somehow, just please show me how. Um, I'll hear, I'll listen to it. I'll consider it. I'll examine it with scripture and see if there's any basis to it. Um, But I think it's something you need to definitely think about. So uh, I'm going to go back. I think there's a question and then I'm going to be done. Uh, Going back in the comments. Uh, so let's see. Okay, I'm not seeing. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. So the the gang Judom, Sorry if I'm saying that right wrong, which I probably am. So he asked about Isaiah fifty six. Uh, telling us to keep Sabbath. So it looks like you're, you're asking the question, does Isaiah 56 command us to keep Sabbath? So let me pull that up real quick. Cause I'm not sure what you're talking about. Um, I'm not familiar with that verse right off the top of my head. So Isaiah 56, do you have a specific verse in mind from Isaiah 56? Um, Let's see what else is going on here. So, Victoria Tube, he said, Yes, we always had weak faith. It's crazy. I left on a Sabbath since one of the children, who was always mean to the kids, he was able to attack my son, so I had to leave. So, sounds like you're just saying there was a lot of judgment that went on if you left during the Sabbath day. Um, Problematic for sure. Uh, KM, he said, And they claim at the moment, at that moment, That's your only requirements. Little do you know the rabbit hole you're about to enter into. Yeah, it seems like they kind of have this door where they kind of keep a lot of things out of your view. They don't give you the full picture, the full story up front. It's not until you come inside, they shut the doors, and they kind of begin to lock those doors with fear, fear of God's judgment, fear of God's wrath if you leave the church. And then they kind of start to lay the full picture of everything they require. All the time they're going to ask of you. And all of that. So, okay, the gang Judah, You said, Isaiah 56, 6. Um, okay, Isaiah 56, 6. I'm going to pull it up here on screen so we can all see it. And I cannot guarantee that I'm going to have a great answer for this. Um, but we're going to look at it and we'll see. Okay, Isaiah 56, 6. And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without profaning it and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Okay, so here we have foreigners, which I think we could apply to Gentiles who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be a servant. So we have these Gentile Which I think would be a good uh, parallel to Gentile believers who joined themselves. um, They wanted to become followers of God, they wanted to be his servants. And it's saying that those who keep the Sabbath without profaning it and hold fast to my covenant. Basically, it goes on in verse 7 to say, These are the ones that would be blessed. God would make them joyful in my prayer. So I think the question, obviously, is, is about. There, it seems to indicate that these Gentile believers who wanted to receive God's blessing, part of the requirement of that was that they keep the Sabbath. Okay, so I think a couple of things I, I would say about that to answer that. First, <clears throat> this is the Old Testament, okay? And so Jesus came, but this was Isaiah 56 6, that, that verse was when the people of God still were underneath operating within the shadow. Okay. So Colossians 2. Um, I'm going pull it up here so you can see it. Uh, Col- Colossians 2.17, referencing to Sabbath, it says that Sabbath was a shadow of the things to come. So in Isaiah 56.6, Jesus had not yet come. The Sabbath, the shadow, was still all the information basically that people had about what the ultimate point of the Sabbath was. So people, yes, still back in that time, in the time Isaiah 56.6 was written, a Gentile believer who joined themselves to the Lord should perform the, the customs and, and commands that that the people of God at that time were under as well. But the thing is, when the reality, when Jesus showed up, the reality who was casting that shadow, things changed, right? And that's why you see, again, as we've talked about in this whole video, you see what changed is that that is was no longer, Sabbath keeping is no longer something that is at the forefront and, and our, our requirement in the same way that it was back then. Um, Jesus is the one who is casting that shadow. So I think I think what, can happen. A danger that people can fall into is they focus in on Sabbath, the observance of Sabbath, the observance of it on Saturday. And ultimately what they're doing is they're focusing in and they're uh, uh, putting so much attention on the shadow, but they forget that that is supposed to point us to a gr- the actual reality. That, that has a point. The shadow has something that's casting it. And the point is Jesus and the ultimate rest that he has given us. Jesus came and he fulfilled for us. I think he brought to us the ultimate point of what the, the Sabbath was all about, which I believe is that every day, like if you look at the first couple uh, chapters of Hebrews, it talks about how to, today um, is basically, I, I believe our Sabbath. Right now, every moment, today, tomorrow, and the same time next week, every day to me is, is the moment in time when I should rest in what Jesus has done for me. I don't just wait till Saturday to rest and to bring to mind what Christ has done for me, but every day. And I think that's, that's kind of what it means that Jesus has come and shown us what Sabbath was pointing to. When people under the old covenant would observe Sabbath, they would rest from their work on Saturday. That was just a picture and indication saying one day, one day, God is gonna do something and he's gonna bring us a rest, a full rest that is going to bring us rest from our sins, rest from all of our enemies. He's gonna give us a, a peace and a rest in his salvation for us. So God set aside this specific day of Saturday so that on that day, people would remember that. But now that God has fulfilled what that was pointing to, why would we go back and focus in so much on that day? again. Does that make sense? So it's like you, you're going back and you're missing out actually on the reality of this has come. It's like if I if I go on a date with my wife and, and all day she's just entranced and focused in on my shadow. She's trying to have these conversations and interactions with my shadow. And it's like, hey, I'm, I'm right here. I'm with you. And I think that's the same thing that's going on here. Isaiah 56.6, at that point, all people had was the shadow. Again, Colossians 2.17, it says Sabbath was a shadow. That's all they had. That's all the information God had given them. But that shadow is pointing to something greater, a greater reality. There was a greater, more full rest that God planned on bringing that was the fulfillment of what Sabbath and Saturday Sabbath was pointing to. And now that that's come, now that Christ has come, my conviction is, goes back to Romans 14, it's not just Saturday that I esteem as a day of rest, as a day holy to the Lord. Now in Christ, I esteem every day alike. What I see Jesus has accomplished for me is that every day I can have rest, every day I can freely worship God, knowing I'm forgiven of my sins, knowing that he loves me unconditionally and, and knowing that I want to live and give my life to him, loving him, keeping his commands, serving others, following what he tells me to do. Um, and so I think that's that's kind of is, is hopefully helpful about what it means that Jesus is now the reality. And, and I think again, Isaiah 56, 6, that was the old covenant that was still uh, when people only had the shadow. The other thing about that is that, that verse alone doesn't change, doesn't change the fact about, uh, it doesn't change anything we've said so far in this video. It doesn't change the fact that the apostles, Jesus himself never taught or commanded specifically Sabbath keeping as a requirement for salvation. John six, the people asked, what must we be doing to do the works of God? Jesus didn't quote Isaiah 56.6 and say, hey, you're, you know, you Jews. And then if any of you are Gentile foreigners, uh, you must believe in me and make sure you keep Sabbath. He didn't say that. He said, this is the work. And I, again, I love the, um, uh, I think it was the New Living Translation that said, the only thing God requires is that you believe in the one whom he has sent. And so, yeah, I think, again, it doesn't change the fact. Isaiah 56, six doesn't address any of the problems we've brought up. So um, even though you see that commanded in Isaiah 56.6, um, the apostles never mentioned it. They never brought it up. They never focused in on it. They never set it forth as a command. In Acts 15, when they laid out for the believers the necessary uh, requirements, it didn't include Sabbath. <laughs> and so you have to do something with that. You ha- And I think the only way you can resolve that is to say, What was required in the time that Isaiah was written is is not the same as today. There's a new covenant, a better covenant, and it involves different things. And I think ultimately it it involves us knowing and interacting with the realities that these Old Testament shadows uh, ultimately were pointing to and being cast by, which is Jesus himself, Christ himself, in whom, uh, Colossians 2, in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge Dwell. It's probably a good place to kind of wrap this up on. Um, <clears throat> so let me find that. Colossians two, two through three. The mystery of God, namely Christ. And actually, I like the way that the ESV says it. But God's mystery, which is Christ. What is God's mystery? Is God's is God's mystery Passover? Is the great mystery of God in in, in which all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden? Is it Passover? Is it Mother God? Is it God the Mother? Is that the great mystery? What does the Bible tell us? I, I know what the WMSCOG tells us. I know the WMSCOG and what we just saw. Juchul Cam thinks that the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the secrets of salvation and eternal life, are hidden in Passover. I know they think that the great mystery of God is Mother. But I'm not interested in what, Jew Chul Kim thinks. I'm not interested in what the WMSCOG thinks. I'm much more interested in what Paul thinks. And what does he think? Well, he thinks that Christ is the mystery. He thinks that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden not in Passover, and they're not hidden in Mother God. Everything we need, everything we need from God, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, everything we need to be complete, fully complete, God has given us in Christ. Uh, Hebrews 1 says that in these last days, in in the past God spoke at many times and in many ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Jesus is God's complete and final word of communication to us. Jesus is the most full and exact expression of himself to humanity, contained within the person of Jesus and understanding his life, his behaviors, his attitude, What he taught contained within him is everything that we need to know about God. And in him alone, we are complete. Um, We're not complete by keeping Passover and Sabbath. Those things do not add in God's sight to our spiritual completeness. Um, If they did, then Paul was wrong in Colossians 2 when he says that we are complete in Christ. Um, I can't be complete in Christ, but at the same time, I need Christ plus Passover, or I need Christ plus Sabbath. Um, The two don't go together. uh, For, again, Colossians 2, it says, we have been filled in Him. If I'm filled up with Jesus alone, if Jesus alone is what fills me up spiritually, then I don't need Passover or Sabbath. They won't fit. (laughs) They won't fit inside a container that's already filled up. so yeah there's a lot there this is going really long um but i hope that's okay some of you are still there um looks like actually there's just more people jumping in so let me just see here in the comments before i wrap this up okay not seeing seeing any other questions really but Uh, thank you all for listening and and sticking around for this. Um, we, uh, yeah, I hope to do more, more live videos like this and, and, and to do more Q and a videos too. I'll probably get, I still plan to get Jeremy and Kelsey onto one of these with me. Uh, we haven't scheduled it yet, but I'd like to get them on. And, and, um, one of the main things is to get members to ask their questions. You know, we're saying a lot of things on these videos and I, I it's, it's unfortunate that I think the WMSCOG leaders hinder you guys from coming to the internet so much and from, from one, listening to, I think, what are legitimate problems in, in your doctrine and beliefs, but just giving you guys the opportunity to hear those and then to respond. You guys should be able to respond to what we're saying. And I want to give you that opportunity, whether you want to talk to me personally behind, you know, behind the scenes on a phone call or whatever. If, if, um, if you want to come on and do a live video, you know, if we get Jeremy and Kelsey on, if you're a member who wants to come on and ask them questions, if you want to challenge anything they've said, if you, if you have things that you think they're not thinking about or things that I'm not thinking about, I invite you to come on and talk with us. I, I promise we'll be, Um, my goal is to be respectful and loving. I I say it, uh, I've said a lot and I'll say it again. I do not hate any of you. I'm not doing this to attack any of you or to destroy your life or destroy what you believe. I am just concerned that I see so many clear contradictions and problems and dangers within what you're being taught in the WMSUG. And I want to, if nothing else, give you another perspective, give you another take, present for you to consider some of the problems that I see, and then you can choose to do with them what you want, Um, whether you want to uh, acknowledge them or not. If you think you have answers to them, that's fine, but I I think you at least deserve to hear the other side. And I think the WMSCOG leadership seems to not want you to hear the full story. They don't want you to hear the other side. So they'll demonize people like me. They're gonna demonize this video and other videos that I make and say, I'm just a false prophet. They're not actually gonna give me the time of day to listen to what I have to say and to hear that I'm just genuinely, I have genuine issues with what you're teaching. And I think it's dangerous. And I think it's misleading and deceptive. Ultimately, I think it contradicts the teachings of Jesus. Um, And so, yeah, so you're invited to come on and Talk with me, reach out to us. Um, you can email me uh, contact at greatlightstudios.com. If you um, have any questions, whether a former member or current member, wh- whoever you are, feel free to reach out to us. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm trying to reply to as many of those emails that we get. Uh, we got a couple um, interviews coming, we got a live or uh, an interview tonight that's releasing, it'll be live streamed. Tonight, it, it's pre-recorded, but um, it'll premiere live tonight, I think at 7, around 7, I can't remember for sure, but hopefully you guys will watch that. That was a very fun interview. It's an interview with um, Brian Taylor, uh, a former member of the WMSCOG, and yeah, it was a really good conversation. Brian, <coughs> he went on a journey from member of the WMSCOG to leaving the group, becoming an atheist and then back to a believer in God. And so it's just, it was really fun to hear kind of his process and his journey. And uh, I think there's, yeah, some things that uh, will be really helpful to you um, in that conversation. So hopefully you guys will all tune in tonight when that premieres. And until then, thanks for watching. And I hope you all uh, have a good rest of your day. you have been listening to the great light podcast to find more information and resources or to watch our films go to greatlightstudios.com or find us on facebook and youtube if you want to support this program and partner with the ministry of great light studios you can do so through our website there you can also find both video and audio versions of this podcast